0: is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 610 AM Central Standard Time. It's the 4th of February 2021. This is episode 360 of Bitcoin and... Miami's mayor considering paying salaries and accepting taxes in Bitcoin. Whoa, boy. Felix Mullen. Here we go with crypto potatoes right up on it. Uh, Miami's mayor Francis Xavier Suarez is ready to put his city in the spotlight of technology lovers and entrepreneurs, and Bitcoin could be his new venture. (laughs) It's going to be. Come on. Suarez recently told the press... That as he sees it, Bitcoin could become the biggest story in the next few years. And according to a Forbes review, the use of Bitcoin as a means of payment for public employees' salaries could be one of the steps to be taken on Suarez's path to turning Miami into the next Silicon Valley. Suarez has been quite vocal about his expectations, but he recently stepped on the gas when it comes to supporting technological developments in his city. The mayor of Miami recently launched the, quote, How Can I Help? campaign to raise funds to expand Miami's tech industry. As far as cryptocurrency payments are concerned, Suarez barely indicated that this is an idea under consideration. Uh, according to reports, there could be three paths to take in the quest to make Miami a Bitcoin-friendly city. The first is precisely to give employees the opportunity to receive their salaries in Bitcoin. Dude, just call up Jack Jack Mallers. He'll he'll tell you how to do this shit. He he does it all the time. This idea has already been explored and would have to go through a series of legal procedures before being approved. <clears throat> the second proposal he is considering is to allow taxes to be paid in Bitcoin. This decision is much easier to implement as there are already legal precedents that give hope to those in charge of possible execution. Finally, He once again talked about his willingness to invest part of the public wealth in Bitcoin. This, while not illegal on the face of it, could generate greater resistance considering the volatility of the asset. Volatility to the upside, you mean. Suarez did not disclose the amount of money he would be contemplating investing, nor did he provide further details on these proposals. Current uh, Current status, however, late last year... He said he was open to exploring an investment of about 1% of the city's treasury reserve into Bitcoin. This decision would be a major detour from Miami's love story for cash and fixed income investments. In terms of public policies, these kinds of low-risk investments are the most obvious choice when it comes to build and maintain wealth. However, some investors with an appetite for risk are aware of the lost opportunity if other investments with higher risk to reward ratios are considered. For example, Bitcoin quickly rose from 20,000 to 40,000, but it also crashed from 40,000 to 30,000. You know, pausing here, if you do a little bit of quick math, the sentence could very easily read, Bitcoin quickly rose from 20,000 to 30,000. A very dangerous loss of money for a politician could spell disaster. <clears throat> this is, we're continuing here, the idea of having crypto salaries comes in hand with his expectations to create a crypto-friendly legal system. In an interview with Fox Business, Varney & Co., Suarez highlighted Bitcoin's appeal as a lucrative long-term investment and said he wants to boost the crypto ecosystem. Quote, We want to be one of the most crypto-forward and technological cities in the country, he said, so we are looking at creating a regulatory framework that makes us the easiest place in the United States to do business if you're doing it in cryptocurrencies, end quote. Suarez, he just, I mean, you know, sometimes I wonder if these people are attaching their names to Bitcoin because they know it's instant that they're going to get recognized and like literally be famous. Like the playbook might be, uh, I as a... Just a, a mayor, even if it is just like a big city, there's lots of big cities. I don't right now, I don't know who the mayor of Los Angeles is. You know, I don't. I don't know who the mayor of Chicago is. And dude, the mayor of Chicago has like big time sway with what happens in presidential elections in, insofar as who gets nominated and whatnot. This has been the way for decades because Chicago is an important city. I have zero idea. I know who the who the mayor of Miami is, though. Why? Because he mentioned Bitcoin. You know, it's it's kind of amazing. And I, I don't want to put too much kibosh on this thing because I think he needs to be doing this. I think we all need to be doing this. Austin certainly needs to be doing this. And why, why it is that Austin, Texas, of all freaking places in the United States, isn't coming out whole hog and full force for Bitcoin is beyond my comprehension. Because for years... <clears throat> for years Austin was the second Silicon Valley. And that started honestly that started with the dot com bubble in the like early <clears throat> or late uh, 1990s on through the very early 2000s until well we got the bubble crash in 2001 so the very early 2000s. But but the thing about it is is that even after the crash the the Silicon Valley aspect of Austin, Texas never changed. It's a I mean Austin, Texas drives me crazy a lot because a whole bunch, it it used to be a really sleepy little cool town and now it's kind of very Southern Californian like, um, people are a lot more rude than I expect from towns in Texas. I mean, Dallas doesn't even give me as much shit as when I go to Austin. It's, it's kind of bizarre, but, um, Austin hasn't, Austin really hasn't said a peep about Bitcoin. And yet they're the people that are the most positioned. That's the city that's best positioned at this point in Texas to be taken up this mantle. And they are just dropping the ball. It's it's sad because Miami very well may steal all of Austin, Texas's thunder. And we don't want that. As much as Austin drives me crazy, it's still a, a very nice little town. Okay, Although, well, little. Used to be. <laughs> Not so much anymore. Maybe Michael Saylor will move there one day. I don't know. MicroStrategy intent on avalanche of companies joining Bitcoin crusade. Says Will Gautsijen from Decrypt.co sometime yesterday. Software company MicroStrategy has become one of the most visible institutional Bitcoin investors in the world over the past year. Thanks in large part to its CEO, Michael Saylor, whose breathless tweets about the inevitability of Bitcoin have become something like a company gospel. MicroStrategy already owns 71,079 BTC. That's $2.6 billion. And there's no sign it will stop investing anytime soon. Well, no, it can't because they've actually locked that in into their the way the corporation works is to invest in Bitcoin. So that's just going to be ongoing. And in a session today at MicroStrategy's Multi Day World Now conference, Saylor said he expects other companies to join him in the crusade. Quote if your company has money on its balance sheet and it's sitting in fiat currencies like euros and dollars, they're losing about 15% of their purchasing power every year. said Sailor appearing to inaccurately apply that all fiat currencies are devaluing at a flat rate of 15% a year. No, that's not what he said. He said euros or dollars. What god whatever. Americans paid Oh, oh, good God. Get this. I can't believe decrypt this guy put this in here for the decrypt article. According to the Consumer Price Index, Americans paid just 1.4% more for goods and services in 2020 than they did in 2019, and the value of the dollar weakened only slightly last year. Okay, let's stop right there. The Consumer Price Index is a fucking joke. Okay? It's a joke. Right? In, anybody who's still, you know, like when, if I were to say something like, your money's being devalued faster than you can even make it. I am met with people saying, but the consumer price index says 2% inflation per year. And I'm like, dude, the consumer price index changes what it puts in the basket of comparables every single year. It didn't used to be that way. Like a long time ago, long time ago, the consumer price index seemed to kind of work, but Especially after two thousand and one, and definitely after two thousand and eight, the CPI can't be can't be depended on to reflect anything accurately except what the government of the United States wants it to reflect. And what is that? What does it want to reflect? Two point two percent, rat Yeah, two point zero percent inflation per year. That's what it wants. So it will change what it has in the basket of comparables to reflect that it's a lie. (laughs) The consumer price index is a lie. So no, it's more like 15% because if you've been to a grocery store over the last year, you know what I'm talking about, right? Gas, maybe not. If you're putting gas in your car, grocery store, yeah, dude. And I don't eat right now. I don't think groceries are actually part of the CPI. Amazingly enough, Real estate and rent sure as shit isn't in there and neither is fuel costs and a whole bunch of other stuff that you would think would be there, but it's not. Eh, Continuing, the simple solution is to convert some of that cash into Bitcoin. We did it. Square did it. You're going to see an avalanche of companies in the coming 12 months also converting their balance sheets into Bitcoin because it's a scarce, digital, safe haven asset. End quote. That sailor is once again making the argument for Bitcoin adoption Comes as no surprise, given the size of his investment. Oh, this sounds like a hit piece, dude. He's admitted that pushing Bitcoin is the explicit goal of the conference. Oh my God, this is a hit piece. Check it out. In a conversation with Ross Stevens, founder of the asset manager, Stone Ridge, and uh, and another Bitcoin believer, Saylor said that while they may already be on board, quote, the reason we're having this conference is to help everybody else figure out what they should do, end quote. Stevens suggested that the decision to convert company reserves to Bitcoin from fiat currency may be the most important decision an executive can make over the next decade. Whether that's true for other companies' bottom lines, it certainly matters for uh, MicroStrategy and its growing Bitcoin reserve. Okay, man, I don't even, not quite sure where William Gott's was going with this whole thing, but Honestly, this is I'm sorry I read this to you. It this is bad. <laughs> this is bad. He's wrong on he's wrong on Americans paying just 1.4% more in goods and services <clears throat> and he clearly misses the point of the conference. That is the point of the conference. It's not like it was buried. The way that he writes this is like like this one. He's admitted that pushing Bitcoin is the explicit goal of the conference. Yeah. Yes. he's admitted? That's the phrase that I'm looking at. He's admitted. No, that was the whole point of the conference. There was never something where he's like, I'm going to do this conference and then I'm going to talk all about, you know, nothing about, except anything about Bitcoin, except that they came to the conference for another idea. And then somebody interviewed him and said, hey man, you kind of bait and switch these guys. Well, I admit that pushing Bitcoin is the explicit goal of this conference. That's not what happened, dude. Everybody knew what this was about. It was clear when he first announced it, exactly what it was going to be and exactly why it was going to be doing this. I just hate people sometimes. And while I don't like PayPal, we got to talk about their Q4 transaction revenue rising 11.8% in its first quarterly report since adding crypto. And dude, yeah, this is good. Nathaniel Camillo is writing this for CoinDesk. <clears throat> In the final quarter of 2020 PayPal gained sixteen million dollars or sixteen million in new net active accounts and handled two hundred and seventy seven billion dollars in total payment volume The earnings are the payment giants first since rolling out crypto buying and selling late last year it removed the wait list for BTC ethereum Litecoin and BCH, to all of its 350 million users on November the 12th, 2020, so before Thanksgiving last year. Customers who purchase crypto through the platform have been logging into PayPal twice as much as they were before buying crypto, the company said in its investor update. PayPal's transaction revenue increased by around 12% from Q- uh, quarter 3 to $5.7 billion dollars the company also notes it will recognize transaction revenue from its crypto buys, sells, and holds product, but it will not include transaction related to crypto in its total payment volume. Notably, PayPal spending and technology increased year over year by more than 30% to $732 million. Quote, the volume of crypto traded on our platform greatly exceeded our projections. Can you think? We're excited to build on this early success by allowing customers to use their crypto balances as a funding source. We hope to launch our first international market in the next several months, said PayPal CEO Dan Shulman. (coughs) PayPal has been working with regulators and central banks to shape the, quote, next generation of the financial system, Shulman added. The company is also investing in its crypto business unit, (laughs) Shulman said. The response to an analyst question about possible acquisitions while digital asset prices are high, PayPal chief financial officer John Rainey said that the firm's appetite for acquisitions is a multi-year strategy, but that it's in a good position to make one. Quote, we are in, <clears throat> we are unique in the fintech ecosystem as we enjoy outsized growth rates and are profitable, end quote. quote. <laughs> Continuing the quote, that allows us the ability to have this asset where we can look at inorganic opportunities to complement what we're doing, Rainey said. PayPal's network of merchants may be more valuable than the trading services it can offer, said James Friedman, senior fintech reserve analyst at Susquehanna Financial Group. Crypto trading for other companies like Square has not been that profitable, Friedman said. Yeah, it has. It's been very profitable. Quote, basically, Square offers crypto as a service and they make the market, but they don't really mark it up, Friedman said. Trading is interesting, but it's not nearly as interesting to us as payments acceptance devices. PayPal has incredible merchant volume. Because of how difficult it is to use Bitcoin as a regular means of payment, Susquehanna which is a market maker in PayPal securities has been exploring the issue in surveys. In December 2020, Susquehanna surveyed more than 120 small to medium-sized business owners to pull their interest in adopting Bitcoin payments. More than 70% of respondents said that they would accept Bitcoin payment for uh, <coughs> accept Bitcoin for payment at checkout if PayPal or Square enabled it. But around half of respondents said they believed that there would be no impact on their business if they added the feature. <coughs> More than half of respondents said the risk of fraud would be the main reason why they wouldn't accept Bitcoin for goods and services as opposed to Bitcoin volatility or tax issues. Susquehanna also surveyed more than 100 American adults on attitudes toward cryptocurrency current usage of cryptocurrencies and their likelihood to use them in payment transactions they found that nearly half of the respondents would not purchase a product or service with cryptocurrency while 5.5% of uh, of them said that they would do so 10 or more times per year okay <clears throat> i rarely purchase anything in bitcoin and that's because we're in price discovery and we don't we don't really know how much this is worth i mean we have Every analyst under the sun, whether you like them or hate them, having each of them having different numbers. And you want to talk about volatility in Bitcoin? It ain't in the price. It's in the price projections. That's where your volatility is, okay? That's where the real volatility is, is everything from $60,000 at the end of this year to a half a million dollars at the end of this year makes... Going from 20000 to 40000 back to 30000 in the first month of this year look like child's play. All right. So River Financial, though, <clears throat> they see the light. River Financial launches mobile app for boomer Bitcoin investors, says Matthew DeSalvo from Decrypt.co. Boomers are looking for a way to buy Bitcoin from their mobile phones, and it just got another option. Designed for high net worth individuals, upstart crypto exchange, River Financial today launched a mobile platform for its iOS. It aims to make crypto buying easier for older investors. I guess they're going to give them bigger buttons. River Financial is a company that says that it would like to be a conventional bank, but with crypto. In 2019, the firm raised $6 million in a seed funding round that included investments from Polychain and Castle Island Ventures and claims to cater to older investors who want the same service as traditional financial institutions. Its mobile app will be competing with big exchanges that already have popular platforms for phones like Coinbase, Kraken, Binance. But the company said that signing up to it and making purchases will be qu- uh, purchases will be much quicker than competitors. Rivers co-founder and CEO Alex Leishman said, quote, We believe that there is tremendous untapped potential with the mobile form factor and are investing heavily in bringing a high-end mobile experience to our clients, end quote. Quote, we are excited to push the boundaries of high-tech, high-end financial services with our mobile-first design strategy, he added. The app is only available on iOS and will make use of Apple security features such as, oh God, Face ID. Come on, Alex, don't do this shit, man. Figure out something else like two-factor or something. Don't use Face ID. Don't do it. And allow clients to instantly buy Bitcoin without waiting for fiat funding to settle. River said that the app was launched because more boomers are using mobile-first products than ever before, and many older investors are turning to Bitcoin as an alternative to stocks and bonds. Yeah, because there's nowhere else to go. There is just nowhere else to go, guys. Now, along the same lines of having, you know, a big phone with big buttons and a Big buy order for Bitcoin for boomers. We have Swan Bitcoin launching its service for high net worth clients and institutions. Although I don't really think they're targeting the boomer crowd. Let's find out from Peter Chihuahua from BitcoinMagazine.com says, Today, Bitcoin investment company Swan Bitcoin announced the launch of Swan Private, its dedicated service to help high net worth individuals, corporations, and institutions invest in Bitcoin and manage their funds. Quote, Swan Private helps clients establish and build their Bitcoin positions over time, according to an announcement shared with Bitcoin magazines. Further, quote, Clients often make a large purchase to establish an initial position. Swan then makes it easy to smooth market volatility over time with automatic recurring buys. When clients have more capital to deploy than already planned, Swan can make one-time purchases of up to $100 million with no annual limits. Man, dude, I want to work for these guys. Swan Private will offer clients access to a dedicated team, support for wire transfers with no purchase limits, guidance on how to maintain self-custody of the private keys for Bitcoin addresses, guidance on retirement accounts, and assistance on completing tax forms per the announcement. Its brokerage and custody services are supported by Prime Trust, a Nevada-regulated trust company. Clients can withdraw their Bitcoin into self-custody or choose to hold it in cold storage through a legal trust account that they hold. Okay. The new service comes in the wake of numerous major institutions and influential investors buying into Bitcoin along with a sustainable run throughout most of 2020 and into 2021. This trend has been most notably pioneered by software intelligence company MicroStrategy, of course, which diverted $250 million of its reserve assets into Bitcoin in August of 2020 and has continued to make significant investments since, quote, since MicroStrategy started the corporate Bitcoin standard trend, Swan Bitcoin has seen significant growth in the number of high net worth individuals and corporate customers, Robert said Robert Breedlove, the managing, and I should say the new managing director of Swan Private Client Services. Uh, he further ends his quote by saying, This demand led Swan to launch Swan Private, a service dedicated to this particular demographic. Congratulations, Robert Breedlove. Now, I say new managing director because this shit just hit the wires yesterday. I saw his tweet come out. I want to say yesterday afternoon, late, late-ish for me. It would have been about like 4 o'clock Central Standard Time in the United States, uh, saying announcing that he had been hired by Swan Bitcoin to head up Swan Private. Congratulations. Robert Breedlove, if you haven't read his stuff, you need to go find Robert Breedlove. and Just Google Robert Breedlove writes about Bitcoin. I guarantee you will find some of his best pieces if you do that. Now, Taproot. Oh, give me some Taproot, baby. Taproot update. Bitcoin users home in on activation plan and a date, but it's still to be decided. Uh, This is out of Coindesk.com. It is written by Colin Harper. Me and him have had our scrapes together, but I still like his writing. Many of Bitcoin's most active stakeholders have just about nailed down the activation method for Taproot, the Bitcoin software's biggest upgrade in years. In a public meeting on Internet Relay Chat IRC, Tuesday, Bitcoin developers, miners, business professionals, and enthusiasts hashed out the specifics of how to package the Taproot upgrade into an update and how to activate it once the code has been shipped. Well, the code already has kind of been shipped. Whatever. The, the most active of the 200 or so participants on the chat, mostly but not all developers, seem to agree on the Bitcoin improvement proposal that would be used to activate Taproot to prep The BIP for shipment, they also voted to merge two pull requests on GitHub that outlines the rules for Taproot's activation logic into Bitcoin source code when the time comes to push the upgrade. I don't know, man. I'm kind of confused about this because I thought it was already there. Maybe I'm wrong, but I could have sworn that Schnorr and Taproot were already in the last update. I guess what he's talking about is the actual logic. Need of activation of what's already there needs to be put into the code. Maybe that's what it is. One of these, which is pull request number 1021, includes a measure that allows users to force activate the upgrade should miners not support it. Oh, nice. A little UASF there. While PR 1020 only recommends this forcing but does not enable it by default. Since most all participants support BIP8 without forced activation, as meeting leader and Bitcoin Core developer Michael Folkson noted in the chat, further discussion will pinpoint a date to begin activation and further discuss the extent to which a flag date of force activation is necessary. Not that miners <clears throat> sorry, not that miners blocking the upgrade should be an issue for Taproot, which has some 91 percent miner support, according to a survey run by F2 Pool, VP Alejandro de la Tor. The survey provides crucial feedback from miners for Bitcoin's decentralized organization which cannot unilaterally coordinate updates the way a centralized software provider can. Upgrades like Taproot require painstaking coordination between miners, full node users, and other stakeholders to ensure that nothing goes wrong, like introducing a bug or splitting the Bitcoin network into two incompatible versions. Because miners have shown no resistance to Taproot, most participants voiced a preference for BIP-8 with the false Uh, or BIP-8 false, which with the false referring to the exclusion of a flag day to force activation through full nodes should the upgrade fail through lack of miner activation. BIP-8 is as currently devised would give Bitcoin miners and full node operators a year to adopt the upgrade after which point the upgrade would be locked in with enough support. In one version of the BIP-8 false, the update simply fails without enough support. In another BIP8 true, a flag day would force miners to signal for the upgrade when the activation time frame expires if they did not do so beforehand. Completely anecdotal, or quote, completely anecdotal, but I've not seen any opposition to Taproot. Uh, somebody said in the chat, it's like Will. Will Oh, Will Clark said in the chat, referring to whether or not a flag day is necessary. Quote: I think using the lowest common denominator of activation parameters seems like the sensible choice to avoid any purposeful or accidental chain splits. In the case miners don't signal, still others like prolific Bitcoin core developer Luke Dash Jr. Uh, are not convinced the inclusion of a flag day is unnecessary. In fact, it's a matter of principle to demonstrate that node operators decide software and not miners. Quote, it doesn't matter, he said in the chat in reference to miner support. Miners do not decide protocol changes. Hmm. (laughs) He he said that intimating that it's the node operators who decide instead by choosing what software to run. Further, he espoused that BIP8 false, quote, lets miners decide The fate of the upgrade. When the time comes, he said later in the chat, he will configure his node to run the BIP-8 true version that rejects non-tap root blocks from miners. Oh man, dude, he's coming out swinging. BIP-8 with mandatory activation is not an unnecessary show of force, said H.S. Joburg, reiterating uh, Dasher's uh, belief that the user choice of a user-activated soft fork is a necessary check and balance on miner apathy. He may be right, we don't know, but still a show of force could introduce an unnecessary risk and set an unwelcome precedent for future upgrade deliberations, especially when miners have given users no reason to be combative, so go the arguments in favor of BIP false quote, BIP false is safer than BIP true or BIP eight true. So it's worth doing false first, given that we know hash power is 90% already pro taproot, Bitcoin Core and CoinSwap developer Chris Belcher said. Others like SherdBits and Bitcoin Core developer Ben Carman pointed out that you could configure the upgrade later into an activation to include the flag day should miners fail to signal, quote, making it safer and easy for users to enforce the UASF, end quote. At the end of the meeting, the participants agreed to merge pull requests on GitHub for both a non-forced activation route, the PR-1020, and a forced PR-1021. With both of these rules in Bitcoin Core's GitHub, the rules for a forced activation could be used only if necessary. The chain split scenario that Will Clark described is basically the boogeyman everyone wants to avoid. God, no shit. I don't want that freaking nightmare again the fear is is that bip8 true requires 100% of hash rate to signal for the upgrade after the taproot activation deadline ends thus if enough users went this route at the same time that other use bip8 false for non-forced activation which only requires 95% of hash rate the two different code versions may create two incompatible histories of bitcoin's transaction ledger and boy there's the crux of the biscuit right there man <clears throat> this is like embedded game theory because you got one, the tree requires everybody to do it and the false requires only 95% to do it. And just those two numbers alone, I mean, all of it, it just sent whistles off in my head when I read that, right? Something about that, I'm not saying it doesn't make sense. I'm just saying that, I'll, well, the alarm bell that rang the, the hardest was game theory. How can this be gamed? And and for what reason would it be gamed? That's the where I'm getting at. Anyway, that's why if force signaling must happen at all, it's best to do it through AJ Towns PR 1021, which makes it safer for the UASF option, which is the most dangerous scenario, Carmen wrote in the chat. For now... It seems as if those individuals in discussions favor BIP-8 false with the addition of a UASF through PR 1021 if needed. But further discussion is also required to hammer out the exact timeline of the initial activation period, as well as what activation date to set. These what ifs and wins will be hashed out, among other matters, in a meeting next Wednesday. So we are moving forward on taproot, guys, and that's good news. Although... I, at this point, I mean, I like Luke Dash Jr. a lot, but I I disagree that that should be the only method. I think that they should try BIP-8 false first, and if we get into a shitty situation, then we pull UASF right out of our ass and we go through this entire shit show one more fucking time. And the reason I'm really ups- not upset, but the reason I'm kind of like, you know, duh is because I I entered the bitcoin space in 2015 and it was just when the whole fees are going high and transaction number and we want bigger blocks I I mean I was right at the foothills right at the very foot of the foothills of that argument and I got to see that whole thing develop all the way through 2017 and it was one of the ugliest times in bitcoin that apparently people that have been in the space a lot longer before me were saying even Mount Gox didn't freak me out as much as this shit did because Mount Gox did not cause a chain split. Whereas the UASF, when we did it, and it was the only way to do it, caused the birthing of Bitcoin Cash, which allowed the scammer Craig Wright in and his pedophile buddy Calvin Air into the space. All right? I don't need that shit happening again, and I guarantee you, neither do you. Let's run the numbers. CNBC Futures and Commodities has West Texas Intermediate Oil up three quarters of a percent to $56.12 for a barrel of that. Brent is sitting at $58.82. That's almost as much of a point move to the upside. Natural gas is now up 1%, which it was down earlier this morning uh, as the futures are concerned. So $2.80 is going to get you 1,000 cubic feet of that. All all the shiny rocks have taken a hit, man. Every single one of them. Gold down 1%, silver down 1.5%, platinum down 2%. Copper down 0.2, and palladium is also down to the tune of one and a half percent. Indices look like they are mostly up, but I mean, if meh, it can be like a, a you know a, a percentage to the upside. That's what it would be. Dow futures up 0.03. Nasdaq or uh, uh, S&P is up 0.09. Nasdaq futures up 0.33 and S&P mini is down da- to the downside 0.15 but let's talk about real money. We've got Bitcoin at 37,522. That our high is going to be over at GDAX 37,554 and it looks like oh sorry, uh, Coinbase Pro is at 37,400 58, So that's to the downside. So not a whole lot of arbitrage room there, but 360,000 transactions performed over the last 24 hours gives 15,000 transactions on average per hour. There have been half a million BTC sent in the last 24 hours. With 20,500 BTC being sent every hour on the hour on average and the average transaction value being 1.37 BTC and the median transaction value being 0.024 BTC or right around 895 bucks. Block times are still fast, 9 minutes and 17 seconds, 1.03 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis, and 158.6 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. Barely a blip to the downside in hash rate, and we are hanging at 156.666 exahashes per second. Ooh, we're at the number of the beast in exahashes, bro. Oh God, everything, I don't know, everything kind of rallied a little bit. Uh, Dogecoin. Uh, we'll get to that. It's got its rally. It's got a pump from from Elon, but you know, whatever. I don't know what he, what he's doing. There are thirty seven thousand three hundred transactions waiting to board seventy eight blocks to clear. We have captured 5.95% of gold's market cap, and you can now buy 20.6 ounces of gold for one single Bitcoin. That's a market capitalization of over $700 billion, $702.3 billion to be exact. There are 18 million 619,031.65 619,031.65 BTC in circulation at this time. There is 1,068.31 of those in the Lightning Network. We have a capacity of 40.3 million, which I do believe is an all-time high. We have 8,690 nodes on the Lightning Network, and that has that holds a capacity of 37,657 channels. of the Lightning Network is now being run over TOR, which is unchanged from yesterday. We have 564.81 BTC in the TOR side of the network, and that is running over 3,310 nodes. That'll do it for vitals. This is the dark side of the morning roundup, and we're going to start this off with Janet Yellen pulling just chicanery as Treasury Secretary right out of her ass weeks after she started her her first term as Treasury Secretary. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen to call regulator meeting on GameStop volatility and seeks an ethics waiver. Why would you ever need a waiver on ethics? Well, we're going to find out. This is actually from CNBC.com, and it was published uh, last Tuesday. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is calling a meeting of key financial regulators this week to discuss market volatility driven by retail trading in GameStop and other stocks. Yellen will convene heads of the Securities and Exchange Commission, the Federal Reserve, the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, and the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, a Treasury official said on Tuesday. Yellen has sought permission from ethics lawyers to do so, according to document seen by Reuters. Yellen's decision to seek that waiver follows a report by Reuters that because of speaking fees, she was paid by a key player in the GameStop saga, Hedge Fund Citadel, She may need to seek an ethics waiver in order to do so. Oh. The Treasury official, who declined to be identified by name, said that the meeting would be called this week and possibly as early as Wednesday. That would be yesterday. I I haven't seen anything out out of the wires as to anything that, that happened, so I don't know if it's actually occurred yet. Quote. Secretary Yellen believes the integrity of markets is important and has asked for a discussion of recent volatility in financial markets and whether recent activities are consistent with investor protection in fair and efficient markets, Treasury spokeswoman Alexandria or Alexandra Lamana said in a statement to Reuters, so an ethics waiver because she was paid over eight hundred thousand dollars in speaking fees by Citadel. You better get a waiver, except for, the, the, except for this, whole, this whole thing that follows. Or, 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 except for this. There should never be anything that even resembles a piece of paper that on the top says ethics waiver. It shouldn't even exist. It either is ethical or it is not ethical, Janet. You got paid by one of the major players. You have to rec- recuse yourself and appoint somebody else. You have to do it. You can't do it yourself. The fact that you are doing it yourself makes me wonder just what contagion are you trying to like not let out of the Wuhan laboratory? Because we already saw what that fucking pandemic did. What are you hiding, Janet? What are you hiding now? See something, say something, online act pushes big tech for not snitching. If that made you gag and throw up, I don't blame you because, yeah, that's the actual thing. That's the actual thing that it's named. Now, this is out of Reason.com, but I mean, it's not about Bitcoin, but it is about Bitcoin. I mean, come on, let's, let's not be fooling ourselves. Privacy, security, and your finances all go hand in hand, and it's being eroded from underneath us. A new bill revitalizes the War on Terror's favorite slogan in service of forcing tech companies to turn over more user data to the government. The quote, See Something, Say Something Online Act, introduced by Senator Joe Manchin, who's a Democrat out of West Virginia, and co sponsored by Senator John Cornyn, a Republican out of my own state of Texas. John Cornyn is not because he's a Republican. It's because he's John Cornyn is one of the most evil, vile pieces of shit that ever crawled out of the swamp. Right. And somehow or another, he ends up continuously getting elected to represent Texas as a senator in the United States. And it just it it floors me every time he does this. Anyway, it's the latest attack on federal communication law known as Section 230, as well as freedom of speech and online privacy. The legislation says any interactive computer service provider that means social media giants, small blogs, podcasting, hosting services, app stores, consumer review platforms, consumer review platforms, really independent political forums, crowdfunding and Patreon style sites, dating apps, dating. I want to go on a date. Apparently, I'm a terrorist. I don't know. Newsletter services and much more will lose Section 230 protections if they fail to report any known user activity that might be deemed suspicious. Really, I have a newsletter. It's called Nunya's Newsletter. I mean, so what? So what? Like Substack, the the provider that I'm using that is a for my newsletter. They're gonna, you know, this is dating. Consumer review. I'm, con- I'm going to review this, um, oh, let's see, this Cuisinart. And I'm going to encode a message to my terrorist, you know, buddies out there in freaking, like, I don't know, Zimbabweville. And we're going to coordinate through a consumer review of a Cuisinart. Really? I mean, really. Honestly, and the rest of this is just bullshit. That's all you need to know is that the the say something or see something, say something online act is just one in a long line of attacks on our freedom of speech. They will always tell you that it's for our own good, but it's not. It's for their own good, honestly. It has nothing to do with whether or not we call somebody a name on the internet. Now, Coindesk, um, is also taking up the mantle of not exactly about Bitcoin, but it's kind of about Bitcoin. Myanmar military blocks Facebook as global internet disruptions intensify. This is, again, Coindesk, and it is Sandy Handagama writing it sometime yesterday. The new military government in Myanmar has reportedly ordered telecommunications companies to temporarily block access to Facebook, citing that the platform is a threat to the restoration of stability in the country as part of a broader effort to restrict internet access following a coup last month. The nonprofit internet shutdown tracker NetBlocks confirmed that access to Facebook, Instagram, Messenger, and WhatsApp servers was now restricted in the country. Internet disruptions were also recorded on January the 31st, 2021, when Myanmar's military seized control in the coup that brought them to power. When it comes to politically motivated internet shutdowns, 2021 is already off to a miserable start. In January alone, India, Myanmar, and Uganda all suffered internet disruptions tied to political events. In Uganda, the state completely shut the internet down on the day of its presidential elections in early January of last week. Indian authorities restricted internet access in multiple areas near its capital, New Delhi, as local farmers protested agricultural laws that were passed in September of last year. According to Hannah Cretum, or Cresham, a technical expert at the Internet Policy NGO Internet Society, NGO means non-governmental organization, and they are suspect in my eyes, and I hope that they are all suspect in your eyes, but we'll go with it. Apart from the violation of basic human freedoms, Internet shutdowns are determined, detrimental to growth as, as they have an immediate financial impact on a country's economy. Cretum explained that the Internet shutdowns dampen Economic activity, which consequently reduce profits for local businesses and lower tax revenues. Quote Furthermore, many individuals, organizations, and businesses around the world rely on internet based services that depend on critical functions like data storage, data processing, and financial transactions based in various countries. Disrupting access to these services inevitably reduces productivity, resulting in significant economic losses. A 2020 report by Top 10 VPN repealed or was repealed revealed that regional internet disruptions combined with prolonged internet blackouts in Kashmir may have cost India 2.8 billion dollars in 2020 while disruptions in Myanmar may have cost the country's economy 190 million dollars to date. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, 2021 is a critical year and emerging economies cannot afford the economic and infrastructure costs that Internet shutdowns often cause on top of the pressures of the ongoing pandemic, Creedom said. India, for instance, aspires to be a tech hub, but has a complicated history of policing the Internet to quell dissent and protest. Freedom said internet shutdowns will have an impact on those aspirations. Quote, we believe that internet shutdowns erode the trust people place in internet infrastructure to be available and to work reliably when needed over time people stop using unreliable networks leading to reduced investment and further decline in investment in infrastructure and build out creedem said authorities in India, Myanmar and Uganda have previously disrupted the internet at critical times according to Samuel Woodham's digital rights researcher at Top 10 VPN quote the recent shutdowns in Uganda, India and Myanmar show that elections protests and political upheaval continue to be a trigger for internet restrictions around the world. We know countries that disrupt the internet once are likely to do so again. Woodhams added that to date pressure from the United nations, civil society and legal practitioners have not prevented governments from restricting access to the internet and stifling citizens, freedom of expression at pivotal political moments. In fact, He said, it's unlikely that a supranational body that's capable of stopping these disruptions at the local level would ever materialize. Quote, with more elections scheduled in countries that have previously implemented shutdowns and the damaging economic and political impacts of the pandemic still emerging, unfortunately, I think we can expect a lot more internet disruptions in the coming year, Woodhams said. So, yeah, we've got to build around beneath, over, through the th- this type of thing, and we do that honestly. We do that with things, especially as Bitcoiners, we do that with things like satellite. But you know, but honestly, you know, Blockstream's. Th- it's not like they launch their own satellite to do the the Bitcoin satellite thing. Okay, they're renting. They're renting transponders on already established satellites in orbit around the Earth. At one point or another, those contracts can just be p- poof just gone and you can't see the United States government to if they if they were to do that all right so listen i know it sounds stupid but look into ham radio uh radio in general i mean if if bitcoin were able to have a cipher not a cipher punk i mean a steampunk component to it like radio. And if you don't know what I mean by steampunk, you are missing out on one of the greatest anime genres like fricking ever. Actually, just honestly, just one of the greatest art genres ever conceived. And it was birthed in, in my opinion. I may be wrong. I'm not an art historian, but when I look at it, I see steampunk being birthed out of, uh, the arts and crafts movement. And, uh, what else? oh God, uh, I can't think of it right now. Art Deco, which was birthed out of Art Nouveau, um, and all of these have the all of these have this real organic component to it, and that's what we're looking for. We cannot allow this thing to to only develop in a synthetic sense. In a synthetic sense that I'm talking about here means dependency on centralized people to allow you to use their communications network. Radio, even though you have, if you're like a ham radio operator, you're supposed to have a license, fuck that. I can get a shortwave radio. I can do the same shit. Now, I wouldn't want to do it in the same place, but what I'm saying is, is that the fight is coming. And if we're not prepared to be able to organically route around the synthetics, then we very well may lose everything. How that plays out is anybody's guess. What timeline that plays out in is anybody's guess. What I'm saying is, be like the mushroom. Think like the mushroom. The mushroom cannot be stopped. And I'm not talking about the fruiting body above the ground. I'm talking about the 99.98% of its mass that actually exists below the soil that is seeking out transactions to make insofar as degrading minerals to be able to make them bioavailable to not only the mushroom, but to all the tree roots and plant roots that it associates with. That's the organic structure you're looking for. The synthetic structure of depending on Facebook to route your Bitcoin payment directly through their platform to somebody in Myanmar, that synth- that synthetic is not a good place to be. I'm just saying because you get shit like this. This is Robinhood.com. And this is this is their basically their support page. And specifically, it's this new uh, it's sort of like their frequently asked questions page when you think about it. And they've added something to investing that says changes due to ongoing market volatility. Oh, my God. Let's read that. Uh, this is the help center. Yeah. the Frequently asked questions. Changes due to ongoing market volatility. Opening new positions in the securities listed in the table below is currently allowed but limited. For more context about the decision to limit these securities, read our blog post. No, I'm not, because all I need is to read the following. Are there limits to increasing my existing positions? Yes. The table below shows the maximum number of shares and options contracts to which you can increase your positions. Please note that these are aggregate limits for each security and not per order limits, and include shares and options contracts that you already hold these limits may be subject to change throughout the day. I apparently am only allowed to only own 5,500 shares of AMC. Likewise, I am only able to own 500 shares of GameStop. I can't according to this, I cannot hold 501 shares of GameStop on Robinhood. If I had 250 shares, I could buy 250 more according to this. They've put a complete ban on buying anything above these positions. <sighs> See, this is what I mean. This is synthetic. This is not organic. Any market at all, even if it's not trading a good or service, there's always a market because transactions is this, transactions are what humans do. That's how we're built. That's why we're here, to make transactions with each other, transactions with our past and future selves and transactions with the earth. We are part of a functional organic system and somehow or another we've designed these centralized, synthetic, weird things that we are starting to depend on and this is an example of the synthetic. How to route around this would be the organic and how to route around it, go find another broker. You know, increase your position there. But understand that's still a synthetic. At least it's operating like an organic insofar as you can go to like, you know, have accounts at two or three different places or maybe even more than that. Or maybe even buy it offshore if you can do that. I'm not sure if you can because I don't play the stock market because I got out of the casino a long time ago. I was tired of being addicted to it. It was ridiculous. But this is all synthetic. No matter how many branches off of this that I try to route around Robinhood, I'm always going through a centralized system. There has to be something, and I guarantee you it'll end up being built, maybe by the guys over at BISC. I don't know. HODL, HODL, HODL maybe they'll get into the game. I don't know how they can do it. Because it still, it all depends on this regulatory aspect. But this is one of the reasons why, if you really want to cut the, the synthetic off at, at the head, or at the neck, I suppose, is you just don't play in that casino. You build a brand new casino. Something that has... If it looks like it can be regulated, it will be regulated. That's what I keep saying. I've been saying it ever since I started doing the show. If it looks like it can be regulated, it will be regulated, which means that you have to find something that looks like it does not, or that does not look like it can be regulated. And that there's nothing in it that somebody can hold on to that says, I can regulate this and I can regulate this. That's the true organic. Everything else is synthetic. Don't Try to start seeing what is synthetic in the world that's been built for you and then try to look for what is organic. If you need pointers on what looks like organic, then get your ass in the car and go to a state or national park or in somebody's field or just walk a river but get into nature and start looking at the patterns that you see in forests. Dig up, like, you know, get your hands, throw your hands into the soil, smell it. Look at it. Actually look at what's in the soil. Instead of it being just this thing underneath your feet, why don't you treat it like the organism, the living skin of the earth that it actually is? How do the tree roots route around great big rocks? Is there a tree root that's, that somehow or another has penetrated into a crack in the rock and is literally breaking the rock down? Go look at nature, natural patterns and you can only find that by getting the fuck out of the city. If you love being in the city, I get you, man. I hear you, pal. But you got to get out. Even if it's only to go to, like if you live in New York City, go to Central Park. Place is beautiful. It's absolutely gorgeous. And it is filled with nature. It's a little bit synthetic because a lot of these things have been placed. But a lot of these things were there when Central Park was carved out as a set aside in the middle of New York City. There's a lot of trees that are way ancient. Go look at the roots. Look at how the, the the trunk flares out into the soil. Look at the plants around it. Find the patterns of how to how organics function and learn how to and figure out a way to apply that to your everyday life. I do it as much as I possibly can. This is one way, this is one of the patterns that I see that is an organic route around of synthetics, and that's the Reddit, Wall Street bets community which is like 4chan, found a Bloomberg terminal. Okay. New York York City, I was just talking about, has about 8.41 million people. Wall Street bets just surpassed 8.5 million degenerates on their Reddit. Okay? That's more people than the most populous city in the United States. 8.5 million people are glomming on, glomming on to that subreddit. That's an organic pattern. Reddit is a synthetic. That's what I'm saying here is that we can organize and be organic around a certain thing. But if that certain thing is the entry point into a synthetic system, that's where they can chop your ass off. There are there are alternatives. Look into Mastodon. Actually, you know what? Don't look into Mastodon. Google this. Fediverse. F E D I V E R S E. Fediverse, like universe, but fed because it's federated. There are a lot more items than Mastodon in the Fediverse than just Mastodon. There's a Instagram clone there's a couple of I think there's a oh there's a PeerTube I can't remember the name of the uh, of the Instagram clone but there's PeerTube for which is a clone of YouTube it's growing and because the pattern here is that nothing is really central you can spin up your own instances on your own boxes there's a guy running a uh, oh uh, instance of Mastodon which is a, like a light client of Mastodon on a Raspberry Pi. It's possible, people. But the thing is, is that that's that's one of the hallmarks of an organic system is a nodal network. And at any given time that a nodal network collapses into a synthetic singular line of communication, that's where it can be killed. That's where they look. That's what that legislation, the See Something, Say Something Online Act, that's what they're looking for. They're looking for where collectives have to collapse themselves into a singular point of failure because they can choke that shit. I would, I highly recommend everybody getting onto Mastodon. Uh, I'm on Bit, at Bitcoin Hackers, but there are many other instances of Mastodon. So please, please start looking into the Fediverse. All right, just Google Fediverse and figure it out. Finally, we have this. Elon Musk, our hero as of late, has fallen from grace yet again into the cesspool that is Dogecoin. Uh, Doge soars after Elon Musk returns to Twitter to shield Dogecoin. A sudden appearance by the Tesla and SpaceX CEO has only one focus, a meme-based altcoin now masquerading as the Lion King. This is William Suberg writing for Cointelegraph. It's not terribly long. Uh, let's just do the first part because it's all that, that has to be said. Uh, um, He says uh, data from Cointelegraph markets and trading view showed Doge USD rebound past five cents per token on Thursday, edging towards new all time highs. Musk, who is known for name dropping Dogecoin and Bitcoin on Twitter, but just days ago said that he was taking a break for a while, returned to post a picture of a rocket and the moon. Quote, Doge, he added in a subsequent comment with later tweets, reading, you're welcome, with your spelling, you are, accompanied by the doctored image of the Dogecoin Shiba Inu mascot as Simba in the Disney film The Lion King. God, immediately afterwards, Dogecoin leapt from 0.0 or from 4 cents uh, on the dollar to local highs of $0.058 or 5.8 cents. While trade volume also surged by over 100% compared to Wednesday, the hashtag, quote, thanks, Elon, also began to trend in the United States. Come on, guys. Stop this bullshit. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Dad says jokes. Got a good one for you. Are people born with a photographic memory? Or does it take time to develop? I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.